Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. I hope your day is going well, and thank you for joining in and taking time with me to listen to these things and to really take heart, take them into your heart and, and practice them. And make sure that you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com that has all the shows in their entirety. and Pass them on to your friends as podcasts. Make sure that you look at all the different social media that we have as well. It's very helpful, and we always love any of the input or feedback that you give us. So we're going to finish, finally finish, Top Sex and Relationship Killers. Because I know that the, this is, these are big ones. But, but like I said yesterday, many times it's hard to put into practice the things we should do. So sometimes it just helps if we just don't do the wrong things. That helps tremendously. So I want to start out with this amazing verse that I found, and it's in Colossians chapter 2. This is verse 6 and 7, and this is in the Message Bible. Oh, no, I'm sorry, this is the Amplified. And it says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in union with him, reflecting his character in the things you do and say, living lives that lead others away from sin, having been deeply rooted in him and now being continually built up in him and becoming increasingly more established in your faith, just as you were taught and overflowing in it with gratitude. And I, I loved that verse. I thought that it's a, it's a really great way to really think about moving forward and living our life in a way that truly is healing to people. And I found this second one, and this is Romans 15, verse 5 and 6, and this is from the Message Bible. And it says, that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't make it easy for himself by avoiding people's troubles, but waded right in and helped out. I took on the troubles of the troubled, is the way the scripture puts it. Even if it was written in Scripture long ago, you can be sure it's written for us. God wants the combination of his steady, constant calling and warm personal counsel in Scripture to come to characterize us, keeping us alert for whatever he will do next. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you, so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. I love that. May our dependably steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as well as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we'll be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in the stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. I love it when I find verses that just give us such direction. 
So as we really talk about, in contrast, we're going to talk about the last sex and relationship killer. And if you forget all the other ones I talked about, this one, just don't do this because all sex and relationship killers can be summed up into one thing. The biggest sex relationship killer of all is simply selfishness. Selfishness. That kills relationship. Makes any type of intimacy between a man and a woman impossible. To have it be anything that is affection or healing or connecting. Selfishness. And selfishness just, selfish just simply means I don't have to monitor a parent myself. I don't have to control myself. I don't have to control my words, my actions, my emotions. It means I have no shame. I'm shameless. I can always go lower than what you can go. I want things immediately. And if I'm not happy, someone's going to pay. Because I just want to be happy. I want to be happy and liked all the time. But it doesn't mean I'm acting in a likable or lovable manner. It's not about how I affect you. It's about how you affect me. You are to manage my internal world. You are to meet my needs. And if you don't, you pay. The biggest way to kill any relationship and any intimacy that might come from it is selfishness. See, selfishness is placing concern with oneself or one's own interests above the well-being or the interests of others. And many times, one of the ways we justify selfishness is we say that it's, we're taking care of ourselves, right? When actually, like we talked about yesterday, the whole analogy of a car, how selfish it is to not take care of the things that God has given you in order to make sure you can do the calling he has on your life. Selfishness is laziness. Because it's easy. It's easy to do that. Selfishness is like uncontained water. It's like you pour water onto the table from a glass and it's uncontained. The glass that holds the water makes it possible to drink it. That's what containment is about. That's what adulthood is about. Jesus so contained himself. The only time he looked like he lost control of himself, he didn't because it was purposeful, was when he wreaked havoc on the temple. And the reason he did that huge public display and destroyed things was because of the abuse that was going on by the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were making it nearly impossible for people to get into the temple and be ministered to because they had to pay. They had to pay. Jesus went ballistic on people that are abusive. So you can see how, how easy it is at first glance to think that self-love and self-care are selfish. That's what we talked about yesterday. 
What we know now is that the more I love and receive from God, the more I produce from what's inside of me, the more I have to give, the more I want to give. The more I take care of me, the more I have to give you. The more I take care of me, the less I have to think about me. The more I can think about you and care about you. The more I can honor your needs because my needs are being met. So I love this saying. This is by Oscar Wilde. And it says, Selfishness is not living as one wishes to live. It is asking others to live as one wishes to live. Selfishness is not living as one wishes to live. It's asking others to live that way. I love that one. How about this? This is by Jared Kintz. He says, the only gift I have to give is the ability to receive. <laughs> I mean, that is, this is the epitome of selfishness. The only gift I have to give is the ability to receive. If giving a, is a gift, and it surely is, then my gift to you is allow you to give to me. I just want to let that one sink in for a minute. So I'm going to read it again. Jared Kins. The only gift I have to give is the ability to receive. If giving is a gift, and it surely is, then my gift to you is to allow you to give to me. If that doesn't sum up selfishness, right? All right, this is from Stephen Kendrick, who wrote The, uh, the Love Dare. Almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It is a trait we hate in other people, but justify in ourselves. I'm going to say that one one more time. Almost every sinful action ever committed can be traced back to a selfish motive. It is a trait we hate in other people, but justify in ourselves. Oh, man, that one hurts. Here's the last one, the last quote. I like this one. Well, I've got one more, actually. This is P.J. Um, Wodehouse. He, said, this is, he wrote Love Among the Chickens. He says, if, there's, if there is one thing I dislike, it is the man who tries to air his grievances when I wish to air mine. <laughs> there's one thing I dislike. It's the man who airs, takes, tries to air his grievances when I want to talk about mine. Right? And William Nicholson from Shadowlands, he says, Here I am going to say something which may come as a bit of a shock. God doesn't necessarily want us to be happy. He wants us to be lovable, worthy of love, able to be loved by him. We don't start off being all that lovable, if we're honest. What makes people hard to love? It isn't what is commonly called selfishness. Selfish people are hard to love because so little love comes out of them. Think about that. He says, here I'm going to say something which may come as a bit of a shock. God doesn't necessarily want us to be happy. He wants us to be lovable. And I say this frequently. You've heard me say this on the show. If you want to be liked, be likable. If you want to be loved, be lovable. So God wants us not necessarily to be happy, but to be lovable. When we are lovable and we are able to love others, we will be happy. Not all the time, because that's impossible. Little children have to be happy all the time. 
and they make people pay when they're not. So he wants us to be worthy of love. And William Nicholson goes on to say, able to be loved by him. We don't start off being all that lovable if we're honest with ourselves. What makes people hard to love? isn't what is commonly called selfishness. Selfish people are hard to love because so little love comes out of them. See, the biggest relationship killer is selfishness. And it can take some people a long time to determine that selfishness is a part of their relationship especially when their partner invalidates their point of view. Oftentimes, the selfless person is made to believe they're being selfish simply because they have needs and wants too. Many conflicts are long-standing before selfishness is identified as the root problem. Many couples won't be able to identify this without relationship counseling. Many individuals will not be able to identify selfishness in their life because they're in so much pain. And, and like we said earlier, the more selfish I am, the less I will care for myself, the more pain I am in all the time. The more pain I spread around, the more pain I then receive. And so both people, when it's a partnership, when it's family, are encouraged to help each other overcome selfishness while they learn to quickly recognize their own selfishness and address it. In some cases, people will not change their selfish ways without some type of major change in, in a relationship. And many times a relationship has to end. And it has to fail for them to get it. Unfortunately, there are some people that have relationships continuously failing and they keep pointing the finger at everyone else, and they will not see it as maybe they're the one bringing it to the relationship. They're bringing the failure to the relationship. So when we look at ways to save relationships, I think it's going to be important that, like I said, if you... Just don't do these things. You're going to probably save a relationship. Then you can work on actually make the, making the relationship truly thrive. But I want to start out with Philippians 1, 1, 9. And I think this is a great um, foundational verse when we look at how to manage, save, help, support, have successful relationships. And it says, so this is my prayer, that your love will flourish, that you will not only love much, but love well, that you will learn to love appropriately. You will need to use your head and test your feelings so that your love is sincere and intelligent, not just sentimental gush. Live a lover's life, circumspect and exemplary, a life Jesus will be proud of, bountiful in fruits from the soul, and making Jesus Christ attractive to all, getting everyone involved in the glory and praise of God. That's Philippians chapter 1, 9 through 11. 
see, it's the rare couple that doesn't run into a few bumps in the road. So if you recognize it ahead of time, though, what those relationship problems might be, you'll have a much better chance getting past them. Even though every relationship has its ups and downs, successful couples, partnerships, friendships, have learned how to manage the bumps and keep love going. They hang in there. They tackle problems, and they learn how to work through the complex issues of everyday life. Many do this by reading self-help books and articles, attending seminars, going to counseling, observing other successful couples, and, and many of us just learn by trial and error. <coughs> so many times we can be so in love and then life intervenes, right? The stresses just accumulate like cascading dominoes. So one, so one of, the, of the number one relationship problems is communication. And we talked about that yesterday when I was saying one of the best ways to kill a relationship is not know how to communicate your thoughts, your feelings, your needs, your wants, your hopes, your dreams in a way that is not controlling, that is honest, authentic, not brutal, but honest. So what keys to good communication do we see in the Bible? Well, there's a couple of them that I really like. And what we say and how we listen to others is very important to God. He warns us that death and life are in the power of the tongue and that we must give an account for every idle word we speak. And that's Proverbs 18:21 and Matthew 12:36. Uh, death and life are in the power of the tongue and we must give an account for every idle word we speak. And we've talked before about words either destruct, destroy, or construct, create something. That's the power of words. God spoke the world into existence. His whole entire ministry was the words he was speaking. So we really want to understand that what we say matters. You may not know it. People may not, not say it to you, but it matters. And I've had times in my life where I've, I've had clients that have contacted me 10 years later and have said to me, you know, when you said that one thing to me, that changed everything. I, I, don't, I don't remember saying it necessarily. But people remember what we say. And if it's really negative and really hurtful, those are some of the ones that are the most difficult to forget and to get over. Because once the word is out, it just keeps traveling out into the universe. You can't take it back. This is why it's so important that we recognize how powerful our words are and, and that we don't let the enemy lie to us and, and tell us that, well, we're not effective and nobody listens to us anyways and nobody cares what we think or feel or say. It's simply not true. This is why it's so important that we recognize the words that we are using, our tone, our timing, and that they're thought out, that we don't do it impulsively. One, one of the things I teach clients, and I've practiced this over the years that I now just do it naturally, I know that if I just take in a breath, I can't talk. 
So when someone says something and I want to quickly respond and it's maybe not going to be healthy or positive, I just simply take in a breath and that gives me time to think. Do I really want to say that? Do I maybe want to rethink that? Do I want to wait and say something like, I need to think about this. Can we talk about this later? Or I don't know if I have a response that is going to be healthy right now or positive. I need to wait. This is, very, this is part of self-control. So what's a sum, what are some summary principles for good communication and interpersonal relations? And James recorded these. And this is James chapter 1, verse 19. And he says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So think about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Many of the communication pitfalls that wreck relationships come from violating these three rules. These three keys. This is like the trinity of, of communication. Slow to speak, quick, quick to hear, and slow to wrath. So we tend to be slow to listen, but quick to speak our minds. And in the resulting confusion and selfishness, we are very quick to then get our feelings hurt and get angry. And it, it, it can happen so quickly. It's, it's kind of like a, a spiral. It's a whirlpool. It's like quicksand. So one of the ways that we make sure that we don't get into that spiraling feeling with people is that we pace ourselves and we recognize that we have time. When you recognize you have time, you're going to be amazed at how effective your communication is and how much self-control you have. Because the only time we have to do something immediately is if there's blood, broken bones, or somebody's not breathing. Then we bust through doors, then we do all kinds of things, then we do whatever we need to do. But otherwise, we have time. We can wait, as adults, we can wait for an appropriate time. We can calm ourselves down, do some reflecting, do some praying, figure out how we want to respond. Sometimes we don't even have to respond. There are some things that are just better let pass. Someone says something stupid, sometimes it's better if you just look at them and say, okay, and move on. So we want to be slow to speak. Slow to speak, swift to hear, and slow to wrath. So tomorrow we're going to start with the swift to hear. And what happens if we are quick to speak instead of quick to hear? And we're going to talk about some of that tomorrow. So I want to make sure that you join me again. And think about this verse. I'm going to leave you with it again. James chapter 1 verse 19. That'll be your verse for today. My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Have a great rest of your day. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyde.com. And be really careful in your words. God bless you.
To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.